This is the Chiefs' official podcast network. Take advantage of the day. When you get an opportunity in this game, you make a play. The playmakers on three. One, two, three. Touchdown, Kansas City. The Chiefs are right in the thick of it, baby. Welcome to this 142.2 edition of Defending the Kingdom, meaning the Chiefs finally get to play at home, Arrowhead Stadium, against a tough opponent in the Baltimore Ravens. Chiefs, the last team to open at home, now the last two years in a row, of any team in the National Football League. We're going to get you ready for this first home game, and one of the ways we're going to do that is to tell you that our Defending the Kingdom podcast is brought to you by Limited Edition 360 Vodka. Check out the Chiefs commemorative bottle, now available in stores. 360 Vodka is Kansas City's hometown vodka and the official vodka of the Kansas City Chiefs. Your game day cocktails are covered with 360 Vodka. Grab a bottle for your next tailgate or watch party, including this Sunday, as the Chiefs will take on the Baltimore Ravens. Mitch Holtis with you, voice of the Chiefs, along with 10-year National Football League veteran, the Barbershop, Sean Barber. And what a game we have here. Probably the best game in the entire National Football League in Week 3, the undefeated Baltimore Ravens and the undefeated Kansas City Chiefs. But it's finally time to open the doors to the kingdom and let it rip. Man, definitely. You said episode 142.2, nothing else matters beside that decimal point. Uh, Being able for the team after being on the road for two weeks to come home, uh, back in 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 their backyard, um, d- defending their crown uh, as they sit atop of the AFC West as uh, the number one seed facing the Ravens team that feels like uh, like the, the, you know they're on top of the rooster, the, the top of the nest. Uh, it's going to be a great battle, man. I can't wait. Um, hearing you talk about 360 vodka had me <laughs> fantasizing a little bit about a little <laughs> vodka and cranberry as I thought about the sea red. Wait for that because it'll be at the end of the podcast. Uh, but I want to ask you about Arrowhead Stadium and playing here. Uh, one of the things I talked with Andy Reid about this week, in fact, I'm going to ask him again during our pregame show on the radio network, is it's easy to take for granted what we have here. Mm-hmm. To have a stadium that's full, one, two, a stadium of fans that come wanting to impact the game because they come wanting to get a false start. They come yeah. to say, hey, what do I do to help us win? But as a player, as a coach, as a broadcaster, uh, as a fan, what it means to have Arrowhead Stadium in that environment as a pro and as a fan and easy to take it for granted? Well, first of all, when we talk about sellouts, we talk about how long this uh, this Chiefs kingdom has constantly filled that that arena um, every Sunday, every home game, season in, season out, no matter if it was a two-win season or a 12-win season. Uh, we have some of the most faithful and committed fans here in Kansas City that you'll see anywhere in the nation. Um, so we talk about a, a, a stadium being full, and I, and I look back at the years when I got drafted by the Washington Redskins, and we had sellouts. We had, we had, we had uh, games where all the seats were sold, but I go around looking around the stadium as I warmed up, and there were so many empty seats. It was more of a, uh, from a corporate outing type, uh, people just would straggle into the game around halftime to see if they could see the end of the game. Uh, they just wanted to be there for uh, third downs, and that's when they cheered. It was they, on, on cue in the fourth quarter. If you got it to a third and long, then all of a sudden they started to cheer. 
That's not how it is here in the kingdom. Our fans get here early and often. They tailgate out in that parking lot. You have that billowing smoke of barbecue, uh, pit uh, barbecue beans, burn-ins, uh, ribs. You, you got you got that smoking uh, from about eight o'clock in the morning. Uh, they start early and often and have that environment um, um, cooking on all cylinders by the time kickoff. And you can top up those beans with this limited edition 360 vodka, uh, the commemorative Chiefs bottle, uh, sponsoring our podcast. To be a defender, yeah. to play in the Chiefs kingdom at, at Arrowhead Stadium, and I've seen that just guys elevate their game. If a player is like a marginal player, I've seen him play at two levels higher here. Mm-hmm. Um, some really respond to it. Before we get into the Ravens, that'll be the second quarter of our podcast. But the first quarter is what it means to be a defender on that field with that stadium with the 142.2 cranking. Well, that 142.2 is just a um, amount of energy. That, that's, a, that's a symbol and a sign. That's a number value that's a, that, that can be attached to how does it feel in decibels when the crowd is cheering for that defense to make a stop or, or, or cheering for you after you make a big quarterback pressure sack. And you feel that, 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 that energy and that excitement from all the fans just, just kind of go through your system and go through your bones. Uh, the one player that we have that really emulates it and, and, and responds to that like no other is Chris Jones. When you see the way he feeds off the energy and he asks for the crowd to give him more and he gives them his best and they go back and forth, um, that, that's a representation of what it means to be uh, that home field advantage. But it's also uh, for everybody on the field, every, every D lineman, everybody who's trying to get off that ball, when the ball is hiked, when you're on the defensive side of the ball, you know you don't have to worry about hard counts because the offensive line can't hear anything. So, so everybody's moving on the, 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 the movement of the ball. That's an advantage for the D-line. We are more athletic on the defensive front than most offensive linemen. Uh, we are going forward while they're retreating backwards. Uh, so that leads to a defense being more aggressive, uh, quicker off the ball. And then because that crowd is um, all that energy and excitement, uh, once a quarterback and an offense gets set and he looks over the defense, if he doesn't like what he sees and he wants to change a play, well, now um, whoever the opposing quarterback has to battle with crowd noise. Does he have enough time to get it properly communicated to everybody on the field so they can have a positive play? Sometimes that crowd plays a, a very significant part uh, when we talk about communicating on the offensive side of the ball. And turnovers, I've, I've just seen it happen with the defense when they start to feed and, and get turnovers. The Chiefs in their heyday, um, yanking the ball out, prying it loose. I'll get to Lamar Jackson here in the second quarter. But let's just even go back to the AFC Championship game. If that interception stands from Traverius Ward that would have won the game for the Chiefs, that meant Tom Brady would have thrown three interceptions yeah. in that game. The narrative would have been way different. As it stood, he threw two in the AFC Championship game, including one in the end zone. So even the best quarterback who's ever played the game in this league, and he will tell you, he'll admit to yeah, you, he will. playing at Arrowhead now is a whole different animal. Yeah, when you call him the GOAT, it's for a reason. It's a body of work over his entire career. But there's been a lot of great quarterbacks come to Arrowhead Stadium and put up some some stinkers, right? We've had Peyton Manning come Including here. Including Brady, who got <laughs> – they took him out of the game in 14. Oh, yeah. They got beat 41 to 14 um, here. That game is, uh, comes to mind, but also the uh, Peyton Manning – yeah. Um, debacle that, that year when he came in and, and turned over the ball, about six picks um, for the Chiefs defense. So we've had some really um, all-time great quarterbacks come into this house, and it's something about the sea of red, something about the atmosphere, um, something about the energy, the, uh, you know, um, the, the amount of energy just 
uh, you know, they want to say it's hollow ground. They want to say it's spirits of old, uh, chiefs of, pa- of the past times coming back and haunting them. Uh, but it, it's that crowd. And it, it allows the receivers and the quarterback sometimes to be a little bit unsure about the depth of their route, the timing of the route. Uh, are we seeing the same thing? And are we? Am I feeling uh, uh, Chris Jones? Am I feeling Frank Clark on my shoulder? Or is it the crowd noise that I'm feeling? Is that making me feel like I need to rush this ball out? Because after the ball is snapped, you hear this uh, energy, you hear this roar rise up after a, a second and a half. Is the crowd cheering because one of their guys is close to me? Or is it, is it just an expectation of, of, of whatever it is? But whatever it is, it's making that quarterback a little bit uh, – uh, having to feel like he needs to get that ball out of his hands a little bit too quick leads to tip balls, uh, leads to uh, miscommunication. Um, all that thing, all of those things are great signs for the defense. And one thing I think has been underappreciated about the Chiefs defense the first two weeks is I've counted ten different guys. I was talking to Spags about this earlier in the week. Mm-hmm. Ten different guys who have made significant plays at key times to flip the game, whether it was in Jacksonville, Damian Wilson's strip and Breland's fumble recovery, or against Oakland. In that second quarter barrage, what's overlooked is the fact that you had four stops in there. Frank Clark makes a huge play. Passigno makes a huge play. Uh, There were the picks later. Um, But now at home, at Arrowhead, as a group – it's not just, you know, maybe one guy feeling it. Yeah. It's now it's a piranha in the river trying to rip the uh, you know, rip the uh prey loose. Yeah, and you talk about that, you know, that that hunt is a pack. That's what they're doing now. It's not just the it's not the Barry D Ford and Houston show. And if those guys didn't show up, we knew that our defense didn't have a chance. Now, even when, you know, uh, statistically if you don't see Frank Clark or uh, or Chris Jones or Honey Bad, if you don't see those guys um, on the stat sheet, that doesn't mean the defense isn't having a great, like a lights out, because the, the defense is, is now being activated and they're committed to playing together as a unit. And so that, that's all that matters. Getting off the field is all that matters. I listened to some sound after the game of uh, the Honey Badger telling guys, hey, man, I, you know, no, I got you that one, you know, on that slant route for, uh, for War when 35 got the pick. Um, he kind of, you know, boom, hit, hit the slant route out the way so it was a clean pick. Uh, you know, next time you get one for me, uh, or a week ago when T, uh, T, Passano tips the ball and Frank Clark is there to intercept it. Everybody now is kind of buying into the system of the, the, the entire defensive unit needs to work for this thing to get accomplished. Yeah, and I'm excited to see Frank Clark play at home. I got veteran guys like Okafor, you mentioned the Honey Badger, but also young guys. Yeah. You talk about Hunt as a pack. Now the crowd's part of that pack, right? But that pack also includes young guys like Juan Thornhill, to see the impact they can have in this game. All right, as we go to the second quarter here, reminder that our podcast brought to you by the limited edition 360 Vodka Chiefs Commemorative Bottle. Now available in stores, 360 Vodka is Kansas City's hometown vodka and the official vodka of the Kansas City Chiefs. Great for your tailgate coming up on Sunday against the Baltimore Ravens. Now let's talk about defending the kingdom as a defense against this specific opponent. They were a little bit unfazed by it last year. That was a heck of a game in December. Uh, people remember the uh, Patrick Mahomes fourth and eight for 40 yards plus, uh, fourth and nine for 48 yards. But there was about three dozen other plays in that game that people have forgotten about. And this Raven team looked better. This Ravens team looks better to me. And it starts with Lamar Jackson. But here you come. 
a guy who's 8-1 and one as a starter in the regular season. He lost the playoff game to the Chargers when he fumbled three times. Mm-hmm. But here he comes to Arrowhead Stadium. Yes, he's been here before, but it's – I'm telling you, there can be some pressure put on him, even though he's a splendid athlete. Yeah, he's grown as an athlete, too. He's grown yep. at that quarterback spot since last year. Um, he, You can tell he spent a lot of time in the offseason working on a lot of things, uh, ball security, where he carries the ball, how he delivers it, um, his presence in the pocket, his understanding about um, defensive, how, how defenses are going to try to attack him and how he needs to escape. Um, all of those things are just – uh, a testimony to um, his maturation as an athlete and as a player and how he's taking it seriously. He's, he doesn't consider himself a one-trick pony. He doesn't consider himself some type of um, uh, uh, Michael Vick 2.0. He considers himself, uh, you know, the best version of Lamar Jackson, and he's working to develop that, and he's working with the, the skilled players they've, they've been given. He's not asking for anything that they don't, they don't already have. He's making it work, and he's doing that at a very high level. Uh, we, we saw statistically how, how him and Pat Mahomes are basically – tit for tat when it comes to completion percentage uh obviously wins um touchdown intercession ratio uh, all, all, all of those uh, statistics that you put up about the quarterback that leads to winning uh, but the one thing that they're really doing is time of possession mm-hmm. and you talk about winning a football game when you have two equally uh, uh yoked teams that are going tit for tat back and forth um on on, on the field time of possession whose offense will possess the ball to matriculate the ball down the field, put their offense in scoring positions um, the most during this game is something to be – you're going to have to wait until Sunday to see that because right now the Baltimore Ravens at almost slightly under 39 minutes a game is leading the NFL in time of possession. Yeah, it got my attention in the Miami game. I know Miami's struggling this year, but that deep third throw that he hit to Hollywood Brown, the kid out of Oklahoma that people around here know about – but then you start to look at Andrews. Andrews has 16 catches in two games. The tight end, who's doing Kelsey kind of things, he has six 20-plus catches. Then you talk about runners. Gus the Bus Edwards is back. Mark Ingram can run. And the quarterback run game with Jackson. Yeah, he can throw it. He can also run it. Yes, That's the is. buck 20 he had last week against the Arizona Cardinals. So it appears, Barbershop, that the Ravens pose the same threat that the Chiefs offense does to any defense that it plays. That is, you must defend them now vertically, and you must also defend them horizontally, and you got to defend the run. Enter the pack. Hunt as a pack. Part of your pack is the crowd. Somehow you've got to get these guys behind the chains, and you know you always say it's a cliche to make every offense predictable, but how much is it with this team in specific? Well, you know, the, Lamar Jackson, he, he showcases – that RPO system, the, the, the run-pass option, unlike nobody else, because usually a run-pass option, uh, you know, you're thinking about giving it to the running back or the quarterback passing it. But this should be called, instead of the RPO, maybe the RRPO, because not only do you have to worry about the run from the running back, but you also have to run from the run from the quarterback and the pass. So it might be we need to um, redefine the, the Baltimore offense as the RRPO offense because it makes you play the run twice. Um, you have to secure the run against the running back, and then you also have to be aware that he might come out the back door, uh, quarterback follow, quarterback sweep, bootleg, a sprint out on the corner, um, then a normal uh, drop back pass, when, and, and he becomes a runner. So in all those different ways, um, usually in the NFL, that's not, there's not many quarterbacks around that you have to defend like you do 
um, Lamar Jackson. And so it causes a little bit of uh, anxiety, causes a little bit of unsure, uh, you know, a little bit, a little bit unsure about how how hard you can play your your your, your home gap, how hard you can penetrate when you know that you have a guy running four four, um, and and is a you know it's a great athlete. Um, could be going out the back door on your on your defense, so it, it's it's a tough kind of a, you know it's like a jagged edge. It's, it's a tough pill to swallow sometimes, knowing that you can do everything right. You can be in the exact place you're supposed to be as a defense, cover all the people, and still have this athlete balling down the field for 15, 20 yards. Yep. It's not actually somebody's fault. It's not a missed tackle. It's just in most defenses you don't you don't you don't uh, account for the quarterback being that type of athlete. Yeah, it's more like a college game, really. The RPO, you see it a lot in college. And that's not a knock um, against Lamar Jackson. He's an NFL quarterback, accomplished. He's a winner. but And Mahomes will trick you. He'll run an RPO and then run it, but it's not designed like every time. I don't think everybody's going to – is Mahomes going to keep it or not? Um, and so with Jackson, you have to respect that. But that's where this crowd comes into play. It goes back to my thesis where – a crowd becomes, you know, your 13th, 12th, and 13th man on on defense here. Two, you need two to play this RPO. All right, halftime of the podcast. Again, a reminder, it's brought to you by 360, 360 Vodka. 360 Vodka, I'll get it. Your game day c- cocktails are covered with 360 Vodka. Grab a bottle for your next tailgate or watch party. Get an orange, go to the restroom quick. You get 12 minutes in the NFL and the podcast you get a second. There it is. Now we go to the third quarter because we're going to flip this the other side. Now, Lamar Jackson, it's not, a, it's not a surprise that Patrick Mahomes has seven touchdowns and no picks. It is a surprise that Lamar Jackson has seven touchdowns and no picks. But now let's talk about Mahomes against this defense. The Ravens defense last year, Barbershop, hit Mahomes 16 times. It's the most he was hit in any game last year. Playoffs, or regular season. Already the Ravens have hit their opposing quarterbacks 21 times in the first two weeks of the season. And Eric Fisher won't play. The core injury is going to have some surgery. Now, it's the old thing, the balance of attacking and protecting against this Ravens defense. Yeah, this, this Ravens defense is one for the ages. Um, and they've lost a lot. You know, they have some uh, – they've lost a Pro Bowl person at every level, right? They lost uh, Eric Waddell. They, they lost C.J. Mosley. They, they lost T. Sizzle. Uh, up front, so they're not the they're not the uh, they're not your your pops uh, Ravens defense of, of 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 a few years ago, but they've retooled and they've actually um, they they stuck true to that hybrid scheme. Uh, Martindale has been uh, known as being one of the most aggressive uh, blitz happy um, coordinators in the league. Um, and he's done a lot, a lot when it comes to uh, putting pressure on the quarterback using. Uh, uh, six, seven, eight guys at the line of scrimmage, not knowing who's coming, who's going, and then dropping back into like a weird zone or or weird man coverage, and, and putting a lot of pressure on the quarterback to find the open man before the pressure gets to him. Young running backs will also have to participate this week. When you look at Daryl Williams, last year had uh, some playoff experience, had the touchdown against the Colts, got a lot of playoff experience, actually. The uh, termite, uh, Darwin <laughs> Thompson, who we saw in the um, – preseason step up we'll see if Shady McCoy can go some or um, at all and then the uh, of course the sausage Anthony Sherman 
But the running backs, they have to run it, they got to catch it, but they also have to protect yes, and sir. help Pat Yes, Mahomes. sir. They're part of the protection. In every scheme, the running backs are, are part of the protection. You got to scan before you leave, or you got to pick up somebody before you leave. The uh, the Ravens, if you looked, I looked at um, a game last year against the Cleveland Browns when they, at the end of the game, went into zero blitz, four snaps in a row to try to seal a win. And every time it was a linebacker one-on-one with a running back, and that was the key block that was missed that allowed leakers to get to – uh, Mayfield, make him throw it away early or get rid of the ball early. Um, and they they, they, they they count on that matchup. They count on you letting one of their linebackers go on your uh, running backs because they feel that's an advantage for the defense. And they're willing to go zero coverage. No help. They have so much faith in their secondary and their corners that they, they're, they're okay going, um, going, you know, going with zero coverage, no help in the back end to allow their uh, defense to go hunt. Finally, the fourth quarter has to deal with the guy that's going to break the record. Dustin Colquitt, 225 games, more than any Dallas Texan or Kansas City Chief. More than Will Shields. Yeah. Um, Our fourth quarter deals with an arrowhead icon, basically, in Dustin Colquitt uh, breaking that milestone. Man, that's in the NFL today when the average league, uh, the average career of an athlete is 2.4, maybe 2.6, not even three seasons. Um, and he's about to, to quadruple that um, and go go and excel beyond that. Uh, myself playing 10 years, um, of those uh, 10 years, uh, I was hurt, you know, multiple years, maybe four of them. So I played maybe six seasons um, during, during a 10-year span. So it's kind of a little bit different uh, scenario, whereas he's been active and a part of this thing since 2005. I remember, you know, when him and DJ came into the building, I was a linebacker on the end of my career, uh, trying to scratch away, stay around for another year, and having these young guys come into the fold. Uh, we know how exciting the kingdom feels about Derek Johnson and all he did for the for this kingdom, but the consistency level and the professionalism that, uh, that Colquitt has uh, provided at that kicking game, um, that coffin, uh, you know, punting the ball inside and, uh, not just the 20-yard line, but inside the 10-yard line. Yep. Um, we we still waiting for the league to start keeping track of that because that's what he excels in. Um, and he's been doing it at a high level for so long. Uh, we, we It's easy to see how people can take him for granted. 424 punts without a block. 2013, his last block punt. Uh, you mentioned 450-some close to that inside the 20 and many inside the 10. All right, it's time to go. Here we go, um, as it's time to open up the doors to the kingdom and have a home game. A reminder, our podcast brought to you by 360 Vodka. Um, your game day cocktails cover with 360 Vodka. Here we go, buddy. 142.2. He's the Barber Shop. I'm the voice, Mitch Holtis, along with Sean Barber. Thanks for joining us in this edition of Defending the Kingdom. Thanks for listening to the Chiefs official podcast network. Ten, five, touchdown! Lock it down! And the celebration begins at Arrowhead.